0: Ready for this? Other than genetics, what do you think is the number one factor that determines how long you'll live? In other words, what most contributes to or takes away from your lifespan? You guys ready for this? It's not laughter. It's job satisfaction. Studies have shown that those who say they enjoy their work live longer, and those who don't die sooner. Now that you've heard that, how many of you are convinced you could die at any moment right now? No, do not (laughs) not answer that question. Sean, were you scratching your head, I hope, on that one? No, I'm just teasing. But I, want you, I want you to take 30 seconds and turn to your neighbor and just say, what is the worst job you've ever had? Okay, and then after 30 seconds, I'll call it, and you switch to the other person. Worst job you've ever had. All right, let's switch, switch, let the other person talk. How many of you had difficult choosing because there's been so many bad jobs? Any of you guys out there? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think I've had, some, I've had some stinky jobs, but one that really sticks out to me is, uh, it was called a psychiatric technician. And so I worked in a psych ward, and uh, part of my job was to check in the patients, and I had to do a strip search. So that means they would take off all their clothes, and I would chart their scars and tattoos. And uh, I remember this one time, uh, sometimes you'd get people that would come on off the streets with mental illness. Sometimes they hadn't showered in a long time. You uh, know, my mutant power is I have a super sniffer. I wish I had something else, but... I have a super sniffer, and so sometimes those smells were just about overwhelming, and so this guy came in, and I I don't know if he was high or just what was happening, but he was very riled up, and uh, as he was taking off his clothes, he was making some of, uh, let's just say some unclean gestures at me. I didn't even know um, body parts could do these type of things, but he was making them do these things, and so he's taking off his clothes, and so I'm charting it, kind of half paying attention. And again, the smell is just about overwhelming. And as I'm, uh, as I'm kind of writing down one of his scars, I see something out of the corner of my eye flying towards my face. And as I look up, it was a pair of leopard underwear. And uh, just as I looked up, it caught me on part of the eye and on the nose. I'm just going to pause the story there. We'll get back to it at the end. You know, I've wrestled with finding Jesus in moments like that. You know how it's like, you know, G, uh, you know, David's like, where can I go where your presence will not be? It's like, I think that moment was pretty close. I think a lot of us, we think of work as like this necessary evil. It's something that we have to do. It's, uh, it's part of the curse. But you need to understand that work actually was before the curse. Um, God actually invented work. Listen to G, uh, Genesis 2, verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. In other words, the first person in the Bible to work was God. When it says, in the beginning God created, it means in the beginning God was working. He was active. This idea that, God, uh, that a God who worked was actually unique in the ancient Near East. So no, none of the other gods worked. They actually taught, the other religions of that day taught that the gods made humans so that they could kind of be like slave labor. They could get the work done for them so they could just kind of take a break and party, basically. Zeus did not have a job. Baal did not have a job. Moloch did not have a job. But Yahweh, the God of Israel, he had a job. The God of Israel was the only God who worked. Um, uh, when God created Adam and Eve in the garden before sin, it says he assigned them to work. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Work was actually a good thing before, the, before sin ever even came into the world. God gave the uh, human race dominion over the earth. He said, I want you to do the work of creating and the work of caring. I think that's a pretty good description of work. Shaping the culture over whatever area you're in and caring for whatever area you're in. So whether you were a student, whether you were in a home environment, whether you were a volunteer in community, whether you are in a profession or a workplace, your job there is to shape the community, shape the culture of that thing, and to take care of whatever responsibility has been given to you. It's important to note that everyone here works. I remember when my middle son Wesley was in kindergarten, uh, I was on staff at a church, it was a church school, so the teacher reported to me the story. I guess the kids were going around the room and sharing what their dads do, and I actually wrote this one down. When it came to Wesley, he said, my dad doesn't work, he's a pastor. (laughs) And so I'm here to tell you that it's important to understand that in the biblical sense, everyone works, even pastors. Okay? Maybe at a job, maybe at home, and maybe at school, but when you are creating value, when you're shaping the culture over something, you are working. You may get paid for your work, you may be a volunteer, you may be retired, you may be full time at home, but everybody works, and money is not the measure of the value of your work in the kingdom of God. I'm, let me just try that one again. Your money, your paycheck, is not the measure of the value of your work in the kingdom of God. It's easy to say, you know what? I'd be a better worker if I had better pay. You know, if I just had another team, if I just had a better boss, if I worked for a better company, if I had a bigger paycheck, the most important thing you bring home from work is not a paycheck. The most important thing you bring home from work is you. Your spirit, your integrity of heart. You're not just working for a paycheck. If you're only working for a paycheck, that is actually destructive to your spirit because you were created to do work and to bring value into whatever environment you're in. If you're just there for a paycheck... You're at cross-purposes with the kingdom of God. Your work is incredibly important to God. There's a fundamental scripture in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. And it just talks about, you might want to just hang it up someplace where you work. This is so powerful. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. How many of you think you would work a little bit differently if Jesus Christ was your boss? Okay? Here's the thing. Jesus literally is your boss. He's being blessed by and served by, and his kingdom's expanding by your work. Our aim is to do the best work that we can do. Um, I mean, I, the diligence, the creativity, the focus, the initiative. Be the best self you can. But... Um, We're not just trusting in our focus, our initiative, our ability. We're trusting on God to come in and help us. You understand? It's not just you grinding away at the workplace for 40 hours, and then you get to go and do some spiritual stuff after that. Your business, your work is your ministry. Your business, your work is your ministry. Not your future job. Not your dream job. Not the job that the prophetic word said over you. Your job right now is your ministry. So today I want to look at how do we bring God into work? How do we actually bring God into work? I'm going to draw on a lot of learning from Dallas Willard and John Orberg. I feel like they've done the best, uh, the best teaching on this. There's a book by Bill Heatley called um, The Gift of Work. That was really good, too. So how can I bring Jesus into my workplace? Well, you don't, because Jesus is actually already there. Jesus' is every bit is present in your workplace as he was, is when we gather to worship or on a mission field. Wherever you're picturing Jesus the most present, he's that present in your workplace. You're like, Jim, you don't know where I work. I'm just saying you don't understand the kingdom. See, the kingdom of God is this grand thing. There's no place in the universe where the kingdom of God does not exist. And we've got our little kingdom. Our church is a little part of the kingdom. Uh, your home is a little part of the kingdom. The workplace is a little part of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is great. And he says this, pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, what's going on in there, let it come into this little sphere over which I can shape culture and bring value. You're actually to bring the kingdom of God into your workplace. My work, your work, is God's kingdom every bit as much as the mission field, as dead raising, as healing the sick. I know, I know, I know. This isn't the way we grew up. We were taught that the stuff that was done at church is the stuff that counts. It's like you work and do your job so that you can do your ministry. No, 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 man. That is just, that is not biblical at all. Your job is your ministry. Now, you may have ministry outside of your job. If you don't have ministry in your job, your ministry outside your job isn't going to be that great. If you stink as an employee, your ministry is going to stink. Let the excellence of your work be the platform for your ministry. Best way to be salt and light and leaven in your workplace is to be an amazing employee in the strength of God. I don't care how many people you're raising the dead for. If you can't show up on time to work, your light is going to be very dim. If you're backbiting other coworkers, Jim, what's backbiting? Talking negatively about them when they're not there. You participate in that. I don't care... How strong of presence of God and how much your shadow you think is doing something, your light is going to be dim. You're not bringing the true kingdom of God into that environment. Okay, all right. <laughs> At first, I couldn't tell if that was one of those sarcastic claps. But it picked up in the pace a little bit. I got excited over there, so that's good. Here's what you need to understand. You are being spiritually formed into Christ-likeness, into unconditional love, or away from that every moment of your life. It's like every thought has a spiritual charge. Every moment, your heart is either going towards the kingdom, anchoring in him, you're being changed to become like Jesus, or you're moving away from that. It's not just like, you know, if you do it at work, there's extra credit for it, you know, because the stuff that counts is really over here. It's in your quiet time. It's when you're praying in tongues. There's that scene... um, there's a scene from Dumb and Dumber, if you remember that, uh, that powerful, powerful movie. Um, Harry and Lloyd have just lost their jobs, and they're complaining that there's no good jobs. And uh, one says to the other, yeah, unless you want to work 40 hours a week. In other words, they, like, they're looking for something. Okay, So let's just say that you work 40 hours a week. I know many of you work many more than that. Um, here's the deal. 40 hours a week at church, two hours-ish. At, at a church, I'm sorry, 40 hours a week at work, two hours at church. The goal is not to undo everything that happened in these forty hours in these two hours. The goal is not to spend more of your time, more than just two hours to fill this up with here. The goal is that you meet God in those forty hours and be equipped to do. The goal is to learn to be with Jesus in the 40 because he's already actually there, because He cares about your work kingdom every bit as much, every bit as much as He cares about your church kingdom. I'd like to play a video clip from here. It's from a TV show that I'm not necessarily recommending. It's a um, TV show called Silicon Valley. And uh, there's two kind of nerdy entrepreneurs who are interviewing some people trying to figure out um, who who can kind of join their team. So if we could play that clip. Thanks for coming in and sitting down with us. We're really excited to Thanks a for coming the in and sitting down with to us. Join We're the really Piper excited to So why don't you tell us a little about yourself? team. So why don't you tell us a little about yourself?
1: I don't work before PM. noon.
0: And I need to bring my dog to work. Are you, are you dog friendly? And I need to bring my oh, yeah, dog, you bring dog twerk, to work. Are you, are you dog friendly? Not what I asked. Oh yeah, you are you, you dog, dog friendly? Work. That's not what I asked. Are you dog friendly? Um nice pool. Um, can my dog go in? Nice yeah, pool. Yeah. We're very dog friendly. Can My dog go in? Yeah. Is there a lifeguard? Yeah. We're very dog friendly. Um cuz my dog lifeguard? can't swim. No, it says here on your resume um, my that dog from 2010 to 2011. No, it 2011, says here on your resume that you from 2010 to it? 2011. But that's actually an old resume. It you should also read that crushed I crushed it, it from. But that's actually an old resume. It, it should also percent. read that I crushed it from. So are we to understand that you did not crush it in 2012? So are we to understand was, that you did not crush it in 2012? a situation preventing me from crushing it to my usual there was, standards. a so situation preventing it, me from crushing it to standards. Taking time off, standards, until standards, I was so able to crush it at 100. time off, able to crush it at 100. At which point I resumed crushing At which point I resumed crushing it full time. How do you crush it at work in the kingdom of God? That's the question. Colossians 3:17, and whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. To do something in Jesus name it means I'm learning to do it as a disciple. Here's what you're learning. I'm learning how to live my life in the kingdom of God. I'm learning it directly from Jesus. You are not a disciple of someone else. You can't say, I've got these disciples, I've got these protégés. They're only disciples if you're helping them connect into the vine. So a disciple is learning directly from Jesus how he would live their life as if he were in their place. So if Jesus were a hot dog vendor on the streets of New York, if he was a bank president, if he was a cash register person at Target, Jesus is actually an expert at doing that job. He is supreme over all creation. Whenever you are working with something physical in your job, Jesus is literally the glue that holds the entire universe together. The molecules that are holding together, the attraction, clashes 1 tells us that's Jesus. So you're literally handling Jesus, a piece of him, whenever you're handling something material at your workplace. He's actually an expert over all those things. And so when you're doing something in his name, I'm learning to do it how he would do it, in the same strength that he would do it in. I'm not just trying to imitate Jesus. You see the difference here. I'm not WWJD, great bracelet, terrible theology. You're not supposed to look at Jesus and then out of your own willpower and your own strength, try to do what he would do. Jesus didn't try to do it. The Bible says that when you make the tree right, the fruit will be right. In other words, Jesus didn't have to try to be like Jesus. He was Jesus. It would actually have been difficult for him to not bless those who cursed him because it was so transformed on the inside. So what we're doing is we're learning from Jesus, and as we hang out with him, our tree is becoming right so that the fruit is a natural byproduct of it. As I'm walking with Jesus, as I'm learning from him, I'm actually becoming like the fruit of the Spirit on the inside, loving, joyful, peaceful. I'm not trying to be more loving in this obnoxious situation. He's actually changing me on the inside. You see, I see the difference? So I'm learning from Jesus how to live my actual life. One of the best pictures that Jesus gave, of what this looks like, is called the easy yoke. This, I think this is my favorite part of this message. This is going to be so powerful. You guys ready for this? Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A yoke was kind of this wooden harness And uh, you would hook up two two oxen to it. One would be here, one would be there. And as it would tilt, it would kind of help them uh, know where to go to work. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As Jesus often does, he uses a picture from the world of work. In this case, it's an agricultural picture. So an ox was a working animal. Let me ask you this. How many ox were yoked together? Two ox walks were yoked together. Here's the idea. Never work alone, always work with Jesus. Like, how do you crush it in your job? How do you do things in Jesus' name? Never work alone, always be yoked up with Jesus, and let him pull the heavy load. Dallas Willard, uh, he just gets real practical about this. This is genius. Here he is. Let's say I'm a plumber going to clean out someone's sewer. You stay attentive to what you're doing at the moment. You ask... How will I do this as Jesus would do this? If you encounter difficulties with people you're serving or with a pipe, you never fight that battle alone. You invoke the presence of God. You expect to see something happen that is not the result of you. The crucial thing is to be attentive to God's hand, not to get locked into thinking, it's just me and this pipe. Never do that. Whatever situation you're in, it's never just you and the pipe. That is living in the kingdom of God. It's never just you and the computer. It's never just you and the angry customer. It's never just you and the bad cash flow. It's never just you and the broken down car. It's never just you and the missed numbers last quarter. It's always you and Jesus. That's amazing. You're facing a new situation. You ask Jesus, how are we going to do this? So I invoke his presence. I acknowledge him. I have excitement in my heart knowing that I'm actually expecting God to do something beyond what I can do in this situation. I'm counting on him. I talk about my problem with him. I ask for his help. I'm praising him in advance knowing that he's going to come through because I'm not in this yoke by myself and he's the one who's actually doing most of the pulling. I look for it. I put the heavy burden of stress and worry about my work on him. I do my best, but I'm not trusting my best. I'm trusting my God. See, it's not work that crushes people. It's the pressure of stress of trying to carry the burden in your own strength rather than letting Jesus do the easy yoke. Jim, what if I hate my job? What if I dislike my job? If you dislike your job or you hate your job, what you need to do is learn to do it as if Jesus were doing your job. The best way for you to get promoted or the best way for you to find joy in your current job is to become an apprentice of Jesus in that job and learn how he would do it. Here's what the Bible says. Promotion does not come from the east or the west. It comes from the Lord. If you're waiting until all the circumstances are right and then you're going to thrive, you're never going to thrive. God wants you to be able to thrive in whatever environment he puts you in because he's the one who makes the whole thing grow. I know some of you are like, Jim, you don't know what I'm doing. You do your best, but it's with God's help. Get this, you're actually not trying to promote or advance your own career. I take the Bible literally when it says promotion comes from the Lord. Jesus spent most of his life, most of his adult life, working as a carpenter. And he was every bit as much in his Father's will when he was working as a carpenter as he was when he was preaching, healing the sick, and raising the dead. He didn't all of a sudden like <laughs> just jump into the kingdom of God at that moment of baptism. He was in the kingdom the entire way. He was living in his Father's strength. Let me ask you this. What do you think Jesus' carpentry work was like? I think it was done in a sloppy way. I think he had a lot of chairs and benches returned to him because they weren't very well constructed. I think he complained a lot on the job about how he was having to work so hard, about how humid it was in Galilee, how the Romans were ruining Social Security. <laughs> Have you ever been to one of those places where someone is like doing the bare minimum required I mean, that is so frustrating. I'm I'm sure every one of us has worked with somebody like this. I remember I used to work in a restaurant called Bonanza, and I had the uh, glorious job of being the dish boy, which they referred to us as the dish dogs, which I thought was a little degrading. And there was a guy there uh, named Lazy Larry. Like, uh, his name was Larry, but we called him Lazy Larry, and he earned the nickname. He would actually say this, laziness is next to godliness. It was actually like his mantra. And the whole time he was there, he was literally trying to see how little he could do on the job and not get fired. That was literally what he'd do. And so he was the guy who, he would go and he would sit in the bathroom. He would rather sit in something that smelled like a sewer than work. He wasn't going to the bathroom. He was just sitting in there hiding. Some of you are like, oh man, I've done that. Okay, we're not going to talk about that. I remember Lazy Larry, um, he was out there and the... um, Uh, Making on the uh, the salad bar with one of the girls, and the girl broke her fingernail into into the salad bar. And so uh, Lazy Larry didn't want to have to take everything up and put it out, and so he said, just dump in some croutons so when they bite down on something hard, they won't recognize it. (laughs) How many of you have ever had a Lazy Larry on your job? Okay. I want to contrast that with this phrase. And then some. Kingdom people are and then some kind of people. You're going to do what's required of you, and then some. There's a story in the Old Testament of a man named Abraham, and he sent his servant out to find a wife for his uh, for his son Isaac. That's just how they did things back then. And so the servant is praying. He's going into this situation, and he travels this great distance. He's got a caravan with him of ten different camels, and. He gets up there and he sees a woman at a well and he just says, hey, can I get a little bit of water? He's very polite about it. Hey, can I just get a drink of water out of your jar? And she says, drink this, but I will water your camels as well. And we just kind of like read over that, like, oh, what a, what a cool story. Um, how many of you guys know uh, camels can drink between 30 and 40 gallons of water? So let's just say 30. 30 times 10 is 300 gallons of water. Rebecca had some serious biceps, like she was, she was in serious shape. Um, Because of her response, because she didn't just do what was asked, didn't just do what was required, her life completely changed. She had the adventure of a lifetime. She will meet the man who would later become her husband. She will become what is called a matriarch, one of the mothers of Israel. Today, thousands of years later, people are blessed in the name of Rebekah. But she didn't know any of that was on the line when someone just came and asked her for a drink of water. Let me tell you, here's how it works in the earthly realm, in the earthly kingdom. If I know I'm in line for promotion, or I know my boss is watching, or I know I'm going to get credit for this idea, or if I know it's captured on video, then I'll serve. I'm not sure if you've ever been a part of a company where like the corporate headquarters is going to come and do an inspection. It's like things are done at a whole nother level as if this is how it goes on all the time. Okay? That's how things work in the earthly kingdom. As if there's going to be credit, there's going to be an inspection, then we'll do it this way. But in the kingdom of God, people are, and then some kind of people, because God is, and and then some kind of God. Which job is the most important in the Bible? I want you to think about this. What's the most important job in the Bible? Are you ready for this? Um, In Deuteronomy, Moses, he's talking to Israel, and he says, someday you're going to have a king. And that king must take the scriptures, the Torah, the law of God, and live in submission to them like everybody else. Here's what Moses is saying. The king cannot consider himself better than anybody else. He must submit under God the same way. In other words, no job makes any person more important than any other person. In the earthly kingdom, it's about kissing butts and brown-nosing and schmoozing and networking. But in the kingdom of God, everybody's valuable. Everybody has a chance to receive honor, not because of who they are, not because they deserve honor, but because of who we are and what we carry and who we carry. One of the most common themes in the Bible is God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. This is huge. God says, I am so opposed to the system that only goes after people with status and dignity and identifies people based on their job title. Listen, God hates that because that wounds people. So let me just give us a little test. I'll, I'll just kind of test myself. You can test yourself along with this. When I meet somebody and I ask, what do you do? Not a bad question, okay? Not, not an evil question. But when I say, what do you do? And if they say a job that sounds real important or has like a high salary attached to it or a high status, do I lean in a little more? Am I a little bit more interested? Do I think, hey, this is probably somebody I should get to know. They could be strategic to me. Or if it sounds kind of like a low status job, do I get a little more disengaged? A little less interested in them. Listen, God is not in that. God is not impressed by somebody's job, and He is not depressed by somebody's job. We're talking about bringing God into the workplace, bringing Him in this yoke. It's part of it, it's honoring people. You're probably not, there's probably not many jobs you're going to come into contact with where there's not people involved. I'm not like, just like you're like a Robinson Crusoe, but I guess he even had like Friday there, and so. Um, it may only be a few people, maybe the same people every day, maybe constantly meeting new people. I just want to just kind of look at what it would look like to bring the kingdom of God into the situation. So, uh, one great way could be with coworkers, boss, clients, teachers, students is, um, look for opportunities just to do simple acts of service. Just simple acts of service. I mean, holding an elevator for a late passenger, you know, um, uh, offering to carry a heavy package, opening a door, helping a coworker with a project, just simple things like that. Just, what are we doing? How would Jesus do this job? I think he would be helpful. You know, the whole serve one another thing. Um, in addition to serving people, we need to pray for people. If somebody tells you that they have a need, I think it's okay in most work environments. Just hey, can we just pray about that real quick? Okay, I mean, some of your work environments may not do that. I remember we had a male person named Amy, and so I was going out and getting the mail. I'm just saying, man, you just do such a great job. You always got such a great attitude, and, you know, how's everything going in your life? She begins to share that her husband had not hadn't had a job in like eight months or something like that. I just said, hey, let's pray for your husband right here. We just prayed, and a couple days later, she comes, and um, uh, she's kind of waiting at the mailbox. You know, and I'm like, I'm like, hey, hey, Amy, how's it going? And so her husband had got a job that week. Yeah, yeah, yay God on that one. And so what happened? Man, the kingdom of God met her little kingdom, and she began to open up to the goodness of God at a whole nother level. Do you know what a big deal it is to just treat people like people on their job? I mean, it's unbelievable how some people, especially like in higher positions, they just treat people like servants and just treat them like slaves. I remember I was with a group of pastors, and we were eating at some restaurant in Columbus, and we were just kind of joking around, having a good time with the waitress, and she was just a great lady. And at the end of it, she says, I don't know who you guys are, but thanks for treating me like a human being. Man, I said, what's been going on? And she just began to just kind of share some stories and just people just were so rude. And boy, in the kingdom of God, there's just no place for that. I'm not saying it's wrong to ever send back food, but the way that you do it, as if you're so entitled and so indignant that your food was overcooked by three degrees. And gang, it's just, man, people are just all doing their best. For me, I tip waitresses who are horrible even better because I figure they're probably having a horrible life and they need some more blessing. Just, uh, just as we're kind of closing out here, here's what I find super helpful is just to take some mini breaks with God. Just just in the middle of the day, just I'm talking like five minutes, you've, if you're going to take a restroom break, you're going to go out to your car at lunch, but just to stop in the middle of your day and to just look at him. Lord, I just thank you that you're with me. And if you've got something on your mind, Lord, I've got this meeting coming up, and uh, Lord, I've done my best to prepare for it, but I just thank you, God, that you're going to be in the room, that your peace, that when I walk in there, then I'm going to carry your peace. So if you've got something on your mind you're doing, it. if there's a coworker who's heavy on your heart, if you've got a coworker who's especially difficult to deal with, you're just giving these things to the Lord. But I think it's good to just stop and take a break and, Lord, I love you. Just let him love you. And so you're not trying to get anything from him. You're just simply recognizing it. I'm not sure how many of you do this, but those little breaks can make the whole difference in a day. Let the excellence of your work be the platform for your witness. If God's going to put his super on your natural, your natural has to have its act together. Let the excellence of your work be the platform for your witness. If God's going to put his super on your natural, your natural has to have his act together. Get the best training you can. Read books on your subject. I mean, whatever you need to do, show up on time. Find out what's expected of you and do and then some. Whatever it is, God is not going to put his supernatural... I was going to say on a clown, but I guess if you're a clown, you could still die, bring the kingdom there. On a person who's acting like a clown, but is not working in a circus. You guys get the picture. You do your best, but you're trusting God for the results. Get this picture, Mark 16:20, And they, speaking of the apostles, went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them, and confirmed the word by signs that followed I think a lot of people think, yeah, I work with God, but they don't actually recognize. It's not just you working for God. It's a partnership where it says he's actually working with you in producing supernatural results. I want you to wake up on, uh, tomorrow and say, thank God it's Monday. Yeah. Like I am so excited. I've got an opportunity to go in here for these 40, 50, 60 hour whatever it is this week, and to shape the culture of this thing to actually care for this environment and is actually being honored up in heaven. It says that God's the one you work for and he's the one who will reward. Such a powerful picture. As you go into your work tomorrow, whether it's a student, watching children, or whether it's a profession, whether you're in a business, you can rely on God's willingness to work with you just as he did with the apostles. I started off that story of the strip search. And um, so as the underwear hits my face, the guy was being so loud and violent, we had two guys came in. Uh, one was Big Rick and one was Milton. And these guys' love language was physical contact with the, uh, with the psych patients. So let's just put it that way. They loved those moments when just sometimes people would be so violent, they were a danger to themselves or others, and they had to be restrained. And so those were usually the times where I, uh, I did not shine at those moments. There was about to be a physical altercation. But uh, Big Rick and Milton, they loved it, and maybe they loved it a little too much. Okay, and so they would uh, they would take these guys down pretty hard And so they came to the door bubbling with excitement ready to go lay the hurt in this guy who's now standing there naked and you know Acting up and so they said jim. Do you want us to cream him? That was the that was the phrase they use and i'm i'm feeling pretty offended at this moment, you know, i'm, you know peeling this wet thing off my face and um recovering from the smell and uh and they said, Jim, do you want us to cream him? And I just, I just felt like a tenderness of the Lord in that moment. I was just like, you know, guys, guys we're good here. So um, we eventually get the guy. We get him clothed and everything. So a couple days later, he kind of came back into his right mind. Sometimes people need medication to kind of get to a certain level. They're able to think more clearly. And he completely remembered that incident. He said, hey, I'm really sorry for the way I was acting. And I think he was coming off some drugs and withdrawal stuff. And he said, I remember what you did. I remember those guys came in. And they were ready to take me down hard, and you stopped them. He said, why'd you do that? So I actually just began to just share him. You know, I actually just felt the tenderness of the Lord towards you, and just began to share with them and minister to him. And uh, this is a crazy story, but the guy ends up getting uh, led to the Lord by the time he checked out. He ended up, yeah, no, this is awesome, he ended up coming to the church we went to. He ends up getting baptized, giving a public testimony, all those type of things, just because I simply just followed a prompting from the Lord. I just want to say this to you guys. The stakes are so high. The stakes are so high. You will be the only Jesus people will see. They're not going to see me. They're not coming to church. But they've got a chance for you to come and shape the culture where you're at and to care for that environment, and God will actually release increase in supernatural on it. Here's what I want to do. You see us a lot of times when people are being sent out like as missionaries or to plant churches or to go do a work in another state. We commission them and pray. So here's what I want to do is um, you are going to be commissioned today as missionaries to your workplaces. Woo! Come on. You need to recognize that when you walk out these doors, it is not uh, I owe, I owe. It's off to work, I go. You're not working for a paycheck. You're actually participating with God in what he's doing on planet Earth. You realize if there wasn't work, we would be reduced about the level of animals just struggling for survival. But work actually involves a community of people creating value so that we can survive at a higher level. I mean, it's it's totally a kingdom thing. And just so you know, heaven will be filled with work. Read the last chapter of the Bible. It's not going to just be one long church service. It's actually going to be us co-creating with heaven to rule his universe and expand his kingdom throughout the galaxies, etc. It's going to be amazing. And so, uh, so let, why not start now? So here's what I want you to do. I want you guys to stand up, and I want you to come forward. And I'm going to read some old Jewish promises over you of what God has to say about your work. As we get ready to do this, just just get ready to receive something, just a blessing from the Lord, a commissioning uh, from us as leadership that what you do matters, that your workplace is your ministry, and that God doesn't want you to just work for him. He also wants to perform through you, work with you. Let's wait another minute here until everyone comes forward. All right, you guys ready? All right, just... Kind of hold out your hands like you're going to receive a gift and just close your eyes. And I'm going to read some words of Deuteronomy 28, then I'm going to add a couple more words. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. I want you to notice how he's going to bless every area from their field to the harvest to the kitchen. Listen to this. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. He blesses the whole thing from them working to harvesting to cooking. I mean, God wants to be blessing every part of your life. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give you rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall only go up and not down. So I just declare of you the Lord actually wants you to be preeminent in your field not to just survive not to just be low man on the totem pole but to actually have influence in the sphere and the realm that he's given you and to even exceed that i just declare over this this over you it's never just you in the pipe it's always you with god and you shall crush it you shall crush it indeed in the name of the lord jesus christ so i charge you with these words as you wake up Monday morning with, thank God it's Monday on your lips, give them heaven. Amen.